thank you for doing this. No, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm talking to uh, Likely Kevin on Twitter. Likely Kevin on Twitter. Uh, Kevin Latimer in real life. Yeah, and you're the editor of uh, Barnhouse, all caps. All caps, not not capital B, not all lowercase, all caps Barnhouse. Um, I'm the co-editor-in-chief. Yeah, that's cool. So, like, what? Why did you start Barnhouse? Um, it's. I just graduated from Cleveland State University with an undergraduate degree in creative writing, and I found myself during my last two years really frustrated with my workshop. And that's not a fault of like the professors or anything. It was just the point I wasn't not compatible with what the classes were about. And I was talking to some of my friends. I was like, "Hey, why don't we just come over to my apartment, get drunk, get high, and read some fucking poetry?" And we did. And um, one of my friends, Billy, is very wealthy, and his family owns this really big barn out in um, rural Ohio. And we were having a party there, and we had this weird impromptu poetry reading sort of type thing. We all just like got up and just read poems, journal entries, and stupid shit like that. And we were all just talking. And one of the things that was really cool to me was that there are people who were there who like don't identify as poets, but were like reading poetry. And they were like, I've never read out loud before, but I'm going to do it right now, sort of thing. And it was really cool. And me and my friend Jason, who's the other co-editor in chief, some other people were like, we should just start what we want to see in the world. Um, we complained often about people who we liked weren't getting, there weren't enough voices at the table and our goal was to sort of like bring these voices to the table. Um, a year later, here we are. Yeah, that's a really cool origin story. Uh, I'm kind of jealous. That sounds like a fun place to be at. So like, what was, um, what's, what's like, what's the Cleveland scene like and what's the Cleveland, because I know there's a university press there that publishes a lot of poetry. So what's like, what was that like the, before you started Barnhouse? Yeah, so like um, the big university press is the Cleveland State Poetry Center University Press. Um, I never worked with them, but I spent a lot of time in their center. They published a lot of good contemporary poetry, but they're really big. Um, Literary Cleveland, which is a big nonprofit, and Cleveland is probably like the biggest game in town, per se. There's um, 12 Literary Arts, which is like the slam theme city. And there's just like little tiny pockets of reading going on. Um, I'm aware people shit on the city a lot, but we have a really dope art seat going on. And there's a lot of poets and writers in town. Yeah, it seems like in the Midwest generally, because shit on, but there's a lot of good scenes out there. I mean, Cleveland, I, I've lived here all my life, and it deserves 90% of the score it gets. But we have some pretty cool stuff going on here in terms of the arts. Everything else is not great, but the arts, we got that done. Well, that's, well, that's certainly something positive, but, um, like, what was, so when you got, when you started that, when you were at that party at Barn, for the first Barnhouse party, let's say, um, were you trying to go for that sort of aesthetic where poets and sort of non-poets or people who don't traditionally think of themselves as poets were out there reading like that? Not really. Um, I have a lot of friends, and that's not meant to be, like, a pretentious sort of way. I just, I'm a bartender, and I'm very charismatic, and I meet a lot of people. And we were just like, hey, you have this cool-ass three-story bar that just invite 50 people out and just have a party. And it turned out, like, 30% of us were just poets. And I have this friend, Jeremiah, who's now the um, social media editor at Barnhouse, who does all the Twitter tweets. And was like, hey, let's fucking read poems. And he read a poem, 
they read a poem, I read a poem, some other poets read a poem, then people just started reading. And I was just really interested in the fact that poetry is something that allows people just to be vulnerable. Um, and like you go to, I mean, I'm assuming you've been to a poetry reading before. I've been to a few, but to be honest, I really haven't been to a ton because I grew up in a, a much smaller town and basically there weren't any. And I've lived gotcha. on the outskirts of Los Angeles for a few years now. And there's not really a scene in the small, in the, in the uh, section of Los Angeles I live in. So it's kind of hard for me to get to them, to be honest. Gotcha. I think like there's a stereotypical view where like poetry readings tend to be really boring. People in suits stand up and read poetry very slowly, and people clap and sit there for an hour bored. And that night made me think of like how diverse the poetry world really can be. And it wasn't my intention to be like this is the aesthetic we're going for. This sort of like everyone poet sort of thing happened organically. Yeah, sometimes, it, like, that's what happened with the kind of paint bucket scene in, that this podcast emerged out of. We were just, it just sort of happened over the course of hanging out with some people in group messages and group DMs and Twitter. And it just eventually led to this podcast and paint bucket and a few other things. And I don't know, there just, there just really is a lack of this kind of thing. So I feel like when it happens, people just want to keep it going. Yeah, that's like, paint bucket, first of all, is fucking awesome. You guys are, you guys are really dope. Um, but yeah, it was just like, we were all just friends. Some of us were met in school. Some people I just met like outside of that. And we all had this, like, we all loved writing. We all loved reading. We would just hang out. And we were like, my friend Jason made this Twitter account. He's like, I'm just going to call it Barnhouse because why the fuck not? And he made this Twitter account. And next thing you know, a week later, I made this website. And then we took submissions. And we're like, we're going to get like 20 submissions. Not gonna be so we got like 800. And then it sort of like took this life of its own. And by that point, it was like, oh, it's too late to stop it now. We're kind of like in for the long haul. Yeah, and the, I noticed too, like the submissions were from like a, a big mix of, of people. You know, there was some like pro, like liter or like poetry professors and there were some like students and there were some people who I, it didn't seem like were affiliated much with the poetry world. So like, is that, has that been kind of the, the mission of Barnhouse so far? Yeah, our tagline, as corny as it is, is Barnhouse for everyone. Um we try to make a conscious effort not to publish too many, you know, like, we're not going to publish all professors or all poets. We want to publish people who, like, don't consider themselves poets or, like, write poetry for fun. Um, like, I read a billion fucking literary journals all the time, and this is, like, you see the same few names over and over again. That's not a shot in anyone. It's just, like, that's the reality. Yeah, I noticed you had a real international slant, which was cool to see. Yeah, it didn't like it wasn't intentional that way. It was just we were putting together the submissions for the first issue, and it was like these these pieces are all in conversation with each other, and they're all diverse, and it sort of like worked out that way. And it's been about thirteen or so months since then, and me and Jason spent a shit ton of fucking money. But like we have poetry reading, we have this reading series called the series, not on Netflix. And our goal is with that is to put local writers in conversation with national writers, and sort of like expand the readership for the local writers. And we've done about six episodes of that. We get up like 50, 15, 70 people. It's like awesome and amazing. So it's sort of just been like this fire stuff just won't stop. Pretty cool. 
Yeah, is that is that a podcast by chance, or is that um, a live event only? No, it's just a live event. It's a reading series, but um, we're going to be starting with our next one, just recording them and putting them on YouTube. Oh, hell yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, like, like that doesn't happen. Like, I don't see that often. But usually just, like, we do a rotating series around Cleveland. We try to pick out a bar every time, um, invite in two local writers and two national writers and just have a reading. Yeah, and so, like, um, like you did, you did, and you published a second issue too. Um, are you are you going moving towards a third issue now? Yeah, we just opened up our submissions for um, third issue on Thursday. Um, yeah, we're going to be publishing issues as long as we can, as long as we can afford to do so. And like, what are you looking for for issue three? Um, I get asked that question a lot. It's always hard to answer. I guess the best thing is just like writing we like. That sounds kind of stupid, but, like, we, there's 10 editors on Barnhouse, and we all have very different tastes. So you don't really think about, like, the fit or, like, the theme. We just, like, writing we like, and we publish it. Yeah, that's a, honestly, I think that can be the best policy, and you, you, you're trying to be, I think, real inclusive about who you can add. Like you said, the, the tagline was um, poetry for the people, I think, and po- or poetry for everyone. And, like, the original title of this podcast was going to be Pen Sound for a pen sound for the people, but um, I went with this because I already had the Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. I like I went through my career of writing a green undergrad, and I fucking hated it. And that's not as fun as the professors. I just realized I just don't like academia teaching. And oh, you don't I, like I, what? I don't like academia, and I don't like teaching. Yeah, I was like. um I graduated from CSU with my undergraduate degree, and I was like, I really just don't like academia. I don't like teaching. I don't like school. And I was going to like a lot of slam poetry events, a lot of DIY shows, and be like, holy shit, there are so many just like dope writers out here that don't have any shine, and like let's give them a seat at the table. Yeah, and I had that same experience with academia i think a lot of people do it's just incredibly alienating and it's it's just not a good space for i guess like bringing new people into and it's there's just a lot wrong and it's not not very inclusive and there's not it's not fun yeah i mean like the question becomes like who are you doing this for i mean are you like publishing a journal for other like academics and like poets to read it it's fine and all good and it's all cool but like you never grow that way um I think our goal is, like, anyone, I think pe- most people like poetry and just don't know they like poetry. So our goal is just, like, hey, check this out. Maybe it'll be something you like. Yeah, and I guess a lot of, a lot of it feels like um, just places you can add to your resume so you can get your first book or whatever. And it kind of yeah, always like, feels, yeah, what were you saying? Yeah, it's just, like, yeah, where can I publish this poem in? And, like, can I publish in Poetry Magazine so I can get this chat book, which is this book, which this award and yada 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 yeah which is like cool i get it i mean it's cool it's do you but like that's just that's so boring yeah it's incredibly boring and like you know there's not much space for i guess friendship or fun in any of that and that i don't know that's what makes it good poetry good in my opinion yeah i I hear a lot about like literary community like especially on twitter people love using the word like literary community but, like, is it really, like, a literary community if you're only, like, meeting these people at, like, a poetry reading and you're only doing it for networking? I feel like it's not a real community. 
And I think what we're doing is like a real community. Me and everyone else hang out outside of events. Like I see most of the editors two or three times a week, just like chilling and drinking, writing, stuff like that. And like mutual aid and stuff like that's important. It just doesn't exist in the broader poetry world. Yeah, it really doesn't. And it's it's disappointing because I think there is a history of that in poetry itself. Like I'm supposed to talk to a translator named Carl Cassia, um, I think later tonight, actually, but about um, the infrarealists and like basically they all their readings were just like in bars. They they privileged the readings in bars over publishing. Most of them maybe have one or two books. And for the most part, they just were hanging out with their friends and doing poetry readings. Yeah, that, that's like the coolest shit, especially like having readings in bars, I think is really cool. Because, like, it's taking poetry as this unexpected element. Because we have all or most of our readings in bars. And oftentimes, we'll be, like, starting the reading. And people will come in who didn't know there was a poetry reading happening. And there's always, like, that what-the-fuck-is-going-on sort of look. And sometimes people just, like, leave. Sometimes people, like, stay. And that's really cool. People just, like, staying and, like, involved with the environment. Yeah, and that's, like, something that doesn't happen a lot in poetry. And I think... I guess that also, like you said, it encourages a community element, which, you know, it feels like so many poets are completely unaccountable, but if you're in that kind of community, it feels like maybe there's a better chance of at least a healthy community and some kind of accountability there. Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately all of us in Barnhouse are, like, just trying to, like, help each other go. I, I don't do, it's weird to say this, I don't give a shit about, like, where I get published or personal. I mean, like, if I cared about that, I wouldn't publish the paper. You know what I mean? And that's not, like, a shot, but, like, that's the reality of the situation. It's just, I want to write things I like writing that are cool, and I want to help my friends get shy and keep writing. They help me, and I help them. Yeah, and it feels like there's not a ton of space for that. You know, like, with Paint Bucket, a lot of, a lot of the people in there haven't really been published much before, and it feels like there's not a good space for any kind of like just fun poetry or poetry with a leftist bent or any of that. And I guess like you're going for that at Barnhouse too, that kind of more, <laughs> that, that better, uh, more. Yeah. I think, um, while all of us aren't alt-right communists, I mean, <laughs> while all of us are like open and spoken communists, though I am, most of us are pretty left. And like poetry should be fun, man. It's not like, why else are you doing this? You're not going to make money off of it. So you might as well have fun. Yeah, exactly. And like, so, I mean, it, like the aesthetic of the, you know, like you said, there's the internationalist slang. You've had poets from, I think I've seen some from like the UK, like you said, Palestine. And I guess it's interesting to see like you trying to make that connection between the like Cleveland and a, a broader global politics. And I, I, I just don't really see that much in poetry. Yeah. I mean, like so much of what we do is like based in Cleveland. I was talking to Jason. I was like, if we did this in like Chicago or something. It would never work. It works specifically because it happens in Cleveland. And there's this big hole for people like who don't necessarily like academia or like wouldn't consider themselves poets, but like, like, hearing poetry or like like writing, like finding other people who are like writing. And for us it's just like Cleveland is sort of like this big like shit on city, like where the mistake by the lake or like you've heard all of the Cleveland jokes, I'm sure. Like we have the Cleveland Browns, stuff like that. But we were like, this city is actually pretty cool. There's so many people just doing good shit. 
and there's so many voices that need to be heard. And it's like, starting with the original isn't hard. You know what I mean? We bought a domain, we made a Twitter, and we just went off from there. But, like, we wanted to take the opportunity to just have as many voices as possible. Yeah, as James says, a, a lit mag is just, like, two fonts on a website. That's literally all the fucking is. I, like, our first website was just a Tumblr website. I took a theme, spent two hours. Making it. Like, it's not, it's not difficult. No, and it's it's cool to see like people starting up things with their friends like this, where they can, you know, publish what they like. And I think you know, just going f- like trying not to make a big, not necessarily a, not necessarily a, pro- a project, but not making it like like I said before, this is part of like the liberal credentialing process. But just trying to have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, like if you're trying to be like a careerist, that's cool and all. Like no shade, do what you got to do. It's a hard work out here, but like we just want to have fun. Um, we're starting a new video series, actually. Um, it's not totally original to us, but we have a friend named Dorian who we met in, I think, undergrad, second year or something. But he does photography now. And we were talking to him, and he was like, hey, why don't you go outside and just, like, read a fucking poem? So I did. And we had this, like, idea that, like, people reading poetry in weird places. So he's done something like dumpsters, somebody reading outside, like, lightning, and, like, <laughs> in the lake, just stuff like that. It's, like, fun. And it's good to take poetry, especially in like these unexpected places where poetry shouldn't, where it's not expected to be found at. Yeah, it feels like, um, I forget who I was, oh, it was uh, Grieveland, Grieve, at Grieve underscore land on Twitter. Uh, he actually was the one who suggested I talk with you initially. And he, he, was, he talked about going to see um, the Chica- um, in Chicago the poetry poetry foundation headquarters there and just how you know it's like the guggenheim it's such an alienating alienating experience and it feels like so much of poetry is just like feels like it belongs in a museum right and like it's 2019 and like poetry should be accessible more than any other time in history like we all have i have my own qualms with the poetry foundation very obvious but it's like what is your goal I think the goal should be, like, getting as many people interested in poetry as possible. And, like, you can't do that when you're, like, having these big, intimidating places. It's, like, absurd to me. Yeah, and, like, it seems like you're interested in taking poetry to people where they're, like, where they are, whether it's on YouTube or podcasts or in bars in Cleveland. And I I don't know, it just, it seems really easy to do, but it's just frustrating how few people are actually doing it. I mean, it's easy, but it's also, like, I... Like, I work as a bartender is my day job, and I'd probably do more work for Barnhouse on a weekly basis than my actual job. And we used to spend probably $2,000, like, over the first year. So, like, it's not, like, very simple to do, but, like, anyone can do it, you know? It's, like, you want to see this shit in the world, just do it. It can be, like, hard to start this kind of stuff, but it's much easier if you're doing it with your friends, which is, like... You know, which again, like I've, I'm friends with like James and Trent and whatnot, and having having people to support you like makes a big difference, I think, in trying to get stuff like this done. Yeah, I think the like one of the hardest struggles for us starting out was like, how do we structure it? Like, are we gonna have like the editor in chief and everyone else is under them, sort of like structure? And we did that for our first issue for a little while, but I was the editor in chief, and like, I just don't want to do this anymore. So we try to now, every um, genre has a co-editor, so there's two editors for every genre. And we all take votes on everything. We all have equal votes on anything we do. And the reader, we all vote on it. Publish the person we all So we want to be equitable in how we do things. 
and I think it's like it just breeds that like trust in community where we all have a piece in the pie we all want to see. Yeah, and I think that's like I think that's like collective approach is really good, but it's something that kind of gets discouraged in the art world generally. Yeah, it does. I'm not sure. I think it's kind of weird how it is. Like I am. If you are spending as much time on this journal as I am, you deserve to have the same say in it that I do. And it's such a weird, like, what qualifies me to be editor-in-chief, but not you. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, when I ask people to come on this podcast sometimes, like, I ask people who maybe have just published one poem in Paint Bucket or something, and people just say, like, oh, I don't feel qualified, but it's like, well, what is qualifications? Like, what is, like, they're kind of fake. Like, what, anyone can do it. Yeah, I mean, what, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you wrote a poem, and you can come here and talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like most people have, like, a lot of opinions and stuff about poetry. There's a lot of people, I feel like, who have just been kind of watching the poetry scene over the past few years. Like, um, like I did, like, I spoke with Grieveland, and we both kind of were just, like, lurking on Twitter for a number of years and watching a lot of this stuff unfold, and it just kind of got gets to the point where you want to say something, but maybe you don't know how or don't have a space to. And it's like, it seems like a lot of places now are coming up that maybe are all going to offer those kind of spaces. Yeah. I think that's the number one goal. We've been talking about like, how do we want to expand the house? And one of the big things we're going to be starting probably in January or February, depending on the space, we're going to do community workshops. Uh, there'll be completely free workshops for people. Um, just like poetry one-on-one sort of things, like workshops about specific subjects. But like, there's some that happen in town currently, and they are very expensive to people. I find that being very alienating. So we're just like, do it for free. Yeah, and James likes to do this on Twitter, where sometimes he'll, or in like um, Discord or whatever, he'll just someone will say something, and he'll he'll just be like, "Yeah, just put some line breaks in it on and what you just said, and send it to Paint Bucket." <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's how I ended up with one of my poems in there. He was I, I made a post about like, yeah, we're gonna do a, okay, we're gonna do a heist movie and we're gonna we're gonna rob the poetry foundation. And he's like, Yeah, just just put some line breaks in that and send it. Yeah, I actually saw that yesterday and that poem's fucking hilarious. The ending is really, really good. I think like, that's that's so cool. You know what I mean? It's like just writing it's like you just like shitting on the poetry foundation. It's a poem. Well, you- you write poems too, so maybe like we should talk about some of your poems. <laughs> oh, you don't want to talk about my poems? So you want to about... I don't know. Um, I guess like there's a lot of space imagery in your poems. Yeah, I have two loves in this life. One of them is David Bowie, and the other of them is like really bad '80s sci-fi movies. Um, my political awakening started in 2013 with Ferguson. Uh, before that, I was very much like. Barack Obama is great, sort of liberal kind of person. Um, but I think events like that sort of like open your eyes to what the world is. I, mean, I remember just watching TV every day and just like seeing everything that was going on there and like how the media was covering it. This just doesn't make any um, I started writing poetry around that same time as well. Um, I was really interested in the fact like Tamir Rice happened in the city like a year or so after that. I was really interested in the fact of, like, utopia and joy and sort of, like, this sustained tragedy. So space for me was this place of, like, this utopia where, like, if you're a black boy, you won't be shot a million times in the back sort of thing. And I wrote one of those poems because me and Jason, Jason's also a 
a black man. And we had this discussion about how people of color poets, specifically black poets, tend to feel like they have to write towards tragedy or like break somebody's heart with a poem. And I do that too on occasion. But me and him wanted to write something that sort of subverted that expectation. So that's sort of how the space opera poems. Yeah, well, not to change topics, but I really like sci-fi too. So, like, what are what are the eighty sci-fi movies for you? What are you, what are your favorites? Actually, hold on. Let me. I have a. Let me pull up my notes. I have a list of movies <laughs> I've been watching. Yeah, give me like two seconds. Actually. Oh no, no worries. I can just edit this out. I meant to say it. I'm since I'm editing this out. I meant to say at the beginning that sometimes there's like a minute of dead air just because you know it's difficult to record like like this. You know, so it's, it's cool. I'll just edit that out. Oh, cool. I figured this much, but, like, I always have that worry, like, I just need to keep fucking talking. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, bad. I'm a bad host. This is Amateur Hour. I'm recording in... Just like a, a fucking car- time in it. <laughs> I don't, I'm recording in my car in a grocery store parking lot. Every single episode of this uh, thing has been recorded at a different Target parking garage, basically. That's fair. All right, here's, like, I... More to listen to Google it after the five eighties movies I need to see again. Flash Gordon, The Fly, um, E.T. of course. I've only seen E.T. once, but I kinda wanna see it again. Um, I really like the thing. What else? Aliens. That's about it. So, so alien aliens you're talking about the sequel to Alien. Yes. I just wanted to be clear. Yeah, those yeah, I mean uh, John Carpenter is a big favorite of mine too yeah i don't know I, there's just something about 80s sci-fi that's like really fun especially compared to sci-fi like, today yeah it's just like really fucking campy and i love like just campy shit yeah exactly and you bring that kind of campy fun into your poems which isn't to say they're not serious but you try and you definitely try and take that fun element and bring it in i remember like when i was younger in like poetry workshops one of the people like every time i like would workshop a poem be like this poem is so whimsical and you used to like really annoy me because for me, when back then it was like, oh, you're not taking my poetry seriously. I am a capital P poet, and these are serious top- topics. I'm not trying to write Alice in Wonderland type shit. But now, I'm like, this is actually all I want to write. <laughs> like, you should yeah. have fun with it. Yeah, I kind of had the same thing where it's like, oh, you know, you want to be serious. But then, like, you realize, oh, it's just way more fun to be fun. You just, it just makes everything, it makes, just makes poetry a better experience for everyone. Like, I will maintain my favorite and best one I ever wrote was an ode to Chad Kroger. Um, I am a big fan of Nickelback, and people hate when I say that, but it's true. And I was, like, I was really drunk one day. I'm, like, I'm just going to buy a fucking bunch of poems about Nickelback and how much I love Chad Kroger, and I did it. Um, this poem will never be published, but for me, they're, like, the best poems I've ever written. I don't know. That seems like a good chapbook to me. I think you should I think you should try and get that <laughs> <laughs> This is the Chad Kroger book. Yeah, I mean, if uh, well, maybe I'm not going to shout anyone out, but yeah, but um, yeah, if certain poets have wrote whole things about Kanye West, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. That's fair. I feel like Kanye West is probably the Nickelback of rap. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good take. That's a good post for Twitter.com. I mean, you can't steal that. That's my copyright material. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to because I I don't know. I don't want the Kanye fans mad at me. They're very they're very protective. Are they like Kanye? Are they Kanye fans still? I feel like a lot of them have died off, but they they were going strong until like I don't even know like 2015, 2016. It's just like you hate to see it. I feel like once the magazine happened, even like the most diehard supporters were like, eh. Yeah, that was the end of it. 
yeah, like I was like a huge Kanye fan. Like the first four albums, like all the time, would play them. But like after that, dude, I don't know. Yeah, there came a point like 2010 to 2013 where it was kind of like there were a lot of red flags, and but yet there were still people out there standing them for some unknown. But then again, people still stand like Chris Brown. So what the fuck do I know? Yeah, that's a that's not a good look either. That's a bad. Look. Not good, not good. But um, to not go back to to go back to your poetry, like. Um, how, like, how do you see sci-fi? I guess, like, I'm sorry, I just love sci-fi. So now I gotta, now that I finally got someone on the podcast to talk sci-fi, I'm gonna do it. No, but no, fucking go for it. Like, how how do you see sci-fi like as being something poetic? I guess I think like, so I also write plays, and I think plays are probably my first love in terms of like things I like to write. Um, and for me, the stage is such an interesting thing because like the idea of the stage is dead. You know what I mean? There's like the stage can be anywhere. If you want to, like, fucking have a play in the courtyard or, like, in the middle of a park, you can do that. And I think sci-fi, and particularly space, has that same sort of element of, like, freedom. And where, like, anything is possible, if you want to have, like, a fucking laser gun, you can have a laser gun sort of thing. If you want to have aliens invading your space, you can have that sort of thing. And that's also grounding, because, like, people have been to space. Space is something we have, well, at least some of us have seen before. Yeah, and, like, what's what's always interested me about, like, sci-fi or any of the kind of, like, speculative genres of things is, like, those, those moments where characters have, like, like you're saying, like, there's moments, like, utopian moments, and it's interesting. It's, like, there's always those moments, and I think they're in your poems, where you kind of, like, reminisce, like, you kind of get around, like, a group of friends around the campfire or whatever, and you have that moment where you're, like, what kind of world do I want to live in, actually? And I, it's, I always, like, seeing those moments, and I think you're, poems are often trying to capture those. I, like, I am a hardcore leftist, capital L, and like my poetry tends to follow my politics. Like I have Kill the Ritz tattooed on my wrist sort of thing, and, like a big-ass Black Panther thing, a member of the IWW. And oh, yeah. I should probably pay my due, so. <clears throat> yeah, I am a little behind on my due. Um, and I think poetry especially is something that like could be maybe not passed down, but like it's like this everyman thing where anyone can just tell stories and read poetry. And for me, I want my poetry to be acceptable, whatever that means. And I think I take a lot of influence also from Slam. I love Slam. I am a horrible slammer. I mean, I can't. The inflection is just not there for your boy. But I love watching it and just seeing like, the energy. That I don't think like a lot of regular air quote poetry has. So for me, it's just like I want to tell you a story, and I want to use poetry to like help elevate that language to tell that story. Yeah, and it's like. Like, so with Slam, I guess, like, what, who, like, did you come to that through the Cleveland scene? Yeah, so, like, there is this place called the Happy Dog in Cleveland, and the Happy Dog is a, it's hard to explain, they only sell hot dogs and french fries, but sort of like a built your own hot dog thing, you, like, put Fruit Loops or whatever on your hot dog sort of thing, and they have poetry slams there, and I lived right down the street from it, and I would just go, and I would just, like, there's a poet in Cleveland called C.R. Freeman, she's amazing, fantastic. And for me, it was, like, going to a regular poetry reading I was supposed to go to for class and going for this, which is, like, this whole different and better, in my opinion, energy. And it's more of this, like, community engagement. People are, like, snapping and clapping and getting involved in the poems sort of thing. Yeah, there's, like, there's a, that's a big contrast if you were, you know, doing writing workshops and then also going to slam. Like, the, it's, just, it's just such a different experience. And it's also, like, in my program, I mean... There are a couple minorities, but, like, I was one of the very few minorities in my program. 
and I write, if you read my poems, I write, like, a lot of stuff from, like, a black perspective, and it's really hard when you're in the workshop. People don't know or can't come from that angle that you're coming from. And going to, like, a slam poetry reading where it's, like, people who, like, look like you and are talking about things that you can relate to, and you don't have to, like, explain these things sort of really good. Yeah, no, your poems, and I, I mean this as a compliment, like, your poems really don't feel like they came out of a workshop. Yeah, I... So I haven't been writing poetry for long. I started writing in 2015. I originally started um, Cleveland State as a philosophy major. And I was like, I fucking love philosophy. Then I met other philosophy majors, and I no longer like philosophy. And I took a, um, I think it was like a creative writing, like sophomore level class when I could have fit my schedule. I just like fell in love with it. And for me, it wasn't just like, I was just like, yeah, it's like, for me, it's not like I want to write because I want to write a book or I want to teach or sort of thing. It's like I have to write because it's the only way I can say these things I want to say. So it was just like, I don't want to say catharsis because I think that's kind of like a not accurate term. But it for me, it was just like, this is how I want to tell these stories. I think poetry or plays were the best venue to tell those stories. Yeah, so like if you if you came to the politics you have in like 2013, you started writing in 2015. Did you like get into poetry from from a political angle initially? Yes and no. Um, my early poetic tastes were just like what I was assigned in poetry workshops, sort of thing. Um, but honestly, going to slam a lot as like helped inform the kind of poetry I liked. Like slam poetry is like often politically charged talking about i mean you and for me it was just like holy shit this is like this is the shit i want to write about this is the shit that makes me feel for me it was you know seeing it was finally seeing poetry that like uh, spoke to concerns that weren't you know just the usual academic shell game as jordan davis would say and like (laughs) Yeah, and like seeing seeing people out there actually who, who like seem to give a fuck and are passionate about it is, I don't know. I think a huge moment for a lot of people. Yeah, it's just like you actually love this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like you know, poetry can be like a a major thing in your life. Like is like we were saying earlier, is fun and is something you do with other people. The world right now is fucking garbage, and like. I don't want to say, like, I derive my joy solely from poetry, but, like, a lot of things that make me happy are just, like, writing and being around sort of the community that I have helped cultivate in Cleveland, where, like, we come together, write poems, read poems, we cry, people read. Really, I don't want to say, like, depressing stuff is not necessarily depressing, it's just very real. And it's, like, you're just, like, putting your soul out here. The the world out there is is really fucked, and it seems like so like it seems like a lot of liberal poets now are just coming to grapple with that. But there have been people out there trying to grapple with it for for decades, and I don't know. It, there are there are ways of talking about it that predate Trump, and I think trying to like capture those not capture, but like you know build off those traditions and. Uh, it's just really important and it doesn't seem like the work people are often engaged. It doesn't seem like most people are actually interested in doing that. I agree. And I'm like, I guess the biggest fear is like once Trump leaves office, whether he loses in 2020 or like dies of a heart attack, whatever happens, it's like 
things are not going to go back into like the new normal. And there is this rising fascist movement. I mean, look at like look at the shooting in El Paso yesterday. You know what I mean? And I guess it's like this thing where it's like. That's like the Joe Biden approach of, like, once Trump is gone, things are going to go back to normal, and we can just ride out the storm sort of thing. But, like, now's the time to speak up. We have fucking concentration camps in this country. Like, legit. And for me, it's like, how have you not seen this happen for the last 10 or so years? This isn't, like, this isn't something that happened overnight. It's something that's been building up. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's very frustrating to see people sort of attribute it solely to Trump, especially in poetry world, where people like to say they're radical but you know those critiques rarely extend uh prior to 2015 or so right because i guess like for them the world was fine before then you know what i mean but like for me like i lived in cleveland i was around in 2014 with the rights shot and i saw steve loomis former head of the police union tell his mother that like it's his fault that this happened sort of thing and it's like the Michael Brillo case happened earlier that year too, the 137 shots case. It's like, no, I live, like, I live this shit. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a lot of the times poetry does live it. And I don't know, it, it's really alienating, I think, a lot of the time to read poetry that tries to address it, but just has no, like, live connection to it. Whereas it seems like you're coming from more of a movement perspective and more of a community perspective. And, writing poetry from that from that uh perspective is like means you have different interests and in, in not just you know getting you know the next byline or whatever i think yeah i've been doing this since like i was 21 i like to join the iww i've been to protests i've been organizing uh, me and my friends at csu started the cleveland state student social society like i've got to call charlie kirk an asshole to his face it's just like the things that like when you're in quote-unquote community and you're on the ground things happen like people love aoc i love aoc too but like aoc and she would never have been elected five or six years ago you know what i mean it's because of like just like say what you want about the dsa or like the antifa movement whatever the fuck that means but if it wasn't for these people like doing the groundwork for years and years there would be no like progressive movement starting yeah, and that's that's something that I sometimes have frustrations with. A lot of it gets attributed to like just Bernie Sanders or AOC, and it's like if you've been paying attention for the last like decade since Obama got elected, this stuff has really been building in a serious way. And I don't know, like there are poets who who come from that sort of perspective, but just really not enough. Yeah, like I see a lot of things on Twitter. It's like, why aren't people speaking up now? You know, I'm like, dude, people have been speaking up for like 10 fucking years or longer than that. You have- yeah, exactly. It's really frustrating to see those kind of things, especially when you've been someone out there fucking doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's thankless work. I don't do it because like, well, there's a lot of activists who do it because like they want like that Instagram photo sort of thing or like to post it on Snapchat or whatever. It's one thing to do that and it's another thing to be like, you're talking to the working class people, the people who voted for Donald Trump, you know what I mean? And they're like trying to meet these people where they're at. The difference between doing that and just like writing a poem with your fellowship at this university that's paying you, sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, even within the poetry world, like a lot of movements have occurred over since the founding of the Poetry Foundation about trying to get them to either be transparent about their funds or use their funds in different ways. And like a lot of. Have you ever considered the fact that you're just jealous, man? Am I just jealous? I think think you're just jealous. (laughs) 
you know, I'm, I've long been jealous just because, you know, my, my bars aren't fire. <laughs> it's just like so funny. Like, we're poets, man. No one's jealous of a fucking poet. I mean, there aren't rules to this thing, which is half the fun. And it's like, you are like, I am all of the camp, like, get your money. If somebody offered me $35,000, fucking I'd fucking take it in a second. That would change my life, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I totally but, get taking the money, for sure. But also, it's like, you, like, people are dying. Yeah, and also, with some, of the, with some poets, it's getting to the point where their platform is bigger than the platforms that are trying to pay them. And it's like, you know, you could, you could start to try and turn the tables on some of these institutions, and maybe, maybe you I should. Because, I mean, they need you. They need the poet. You don't need them. Yeah, I mean, someone, I mean, someone once said, workers of the world unite, and it kind of seems like it might apply here. Yeah, I mean, like, there's so many, like, poetry right now is, like, 15 years ago, no one gave a fuck about poetry, you know what I mean? It wasn't until, like, Def Jam and the Poetry Slam started, but, like, now in 2019, we have poetry on, like, fucking national, like, magazine sort of thing. Well, like, poetry doesn't have sort of, like, that mainstream... It's like, it's not tearing into the mainstream yet, but it's very close to doing so. That hasn't happened before. Uh, a lot has to do with, like, the internet and social media. But, like, your platform is as big as ever, yo. And, like, you speak... You speaking out of it can make a whole lot of difference. And it's just... I mean, that's basically what the ask is. Just, like, you know, trying to hold these institutions accountable because you... The power exists to do so now, I think. Like, Rupi, Rupi's poems are sold in Target. I mean, we're not far off from some other poets perhaps having that same sort of career. Exactly. I mean, Rupi can show the fucking stadium. Like, an arena if you wanted to. You know what I mean? It's like she has reached that celebrity status. Like, oh, if she made it. a fucking... Oh, sorry. Now I'm just picturing a Dane Cook-style Rupi K. Rupi. Oh, don't, don't, don't say that, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, I can just picture it now with, like, 20,000 people on the arena. Like... I'm picturing her gown. <laughs> Oh man, I did not use the image in my head. Yeah, that's a that's a very cursed image, and I know James is it's like moments away from photoshopping it. James, like fucking stop. Oh, I want to see it. Oh, God, we live in hell. You, yeah, but you 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 you've saying... wrote it existence. You've wrote it into existence. Now it has to happen. Yeah, that's that's the world we live in, where just the most cursed thought you can think of will happen. And I, you know, I try and use that power responsibly, but every day I log on and don't. So, I mean, like Bill Clinton was like, "Hey, Donald Trump, you should run for president." And now, look look where we're at. Yeah, now now I don't even get me started on the tactical problems of the Democratic Party. It's just embarrassing to watch them do anything, and I, I I'm very mad. It's like how, as a party, you're like the strongest position you've been in for a very long time, but you managed still to fuck it up. Yeah, like I was, I tweeted about this the other day, but like, oh, there was a profile of Elizabeth Warren, and her camp, one of her strategists was like, yeah, when she came out. And Donald Trump called her Pocahontas at the beginning of the campaign. You know, we got punched in the face, but we survived. And I was just like, she has a zillion plans and none of them are to avoid getting punched in the fucking face again. Like, that's just like the Democratic Party dot JPEG. Dot JPEG, I love that. And that's my fear. It's like, not to go on with the political. We're, we're getting talking... too political. Oh, can't be. But poetry, Art... poetry is not supposed to be political. Poetry for poetry's sake, my sir. But, like, my fear is, like, if he wins again, that's, like, he could do a lot of damage in four more years. Like, I love, like, RBG, like, she can't hold on forever. Yeah, it's, that. that's a very dark timeline, and I increasingly fear it will happen. I'm telling you, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, looks State coming out in 2021. Ugh. Yeah, speaking, oh, God. 
now I have to see more pictures of him because he's prime minister. That's such a sad thought. Yeah, uh, speaking of curse, like that's a rupee in a Dane Cook comedy setting type of image. He's just like so hard to look at. Like even like this is not like to be like what's the proper term? Is the Lucas the term? Lucas isn't the term. I mean, like, it's, it is now, sure. Okay, Lucas is now a term, but like he's just hard to look at, man. A lot, and I mean, the thing is, a lot of those fascist guys like that. It's just like, I mean, not to again, not to engage in this lookism, but Steve Bannon, man, what, what's going on? Steve Bannon, like, have you ever seen a picture of um Steve Loomis? Who? Who? Steve Loomis. He's the uh, he used to be the Cleveland Police Union chief. You should look him up, man. It's a it's a rough sight. My first thoughts are like, where is his chin? It looks like <laughs> his neck. He looks like what would happen if Mike Trout wasn't an athlete. Oh, man, that's that's really good, actually. I went to, like, a protest. It was probably, like, February of 2017, wherever Donald Trump got elected. But our Cleveland Police Union held, a, like, a welcome Donald Trump, make American great again, yada, 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 this sort of fucking protest. And, like, he was giving, like, a keynote speech. And he was talking, he was like, ladies... Make sure you hug and kiss all the police officers here for keeping you safe. And it's like, dude, how brazen can you be? Like, 10 years ago, like, I don't think they would have bothered to say that. There is still this, like, air of, like, you have to be, like, respectable sort of thing. That's all out the window. Yeah, no, you can just say whatever the hell you want now. And it, I mean, in some ways it's good, but in some ways it's like, oh, God. And I mean, it's good in the sense that now we know what they were thinking the whole time, but uh, that's not, obviously not the best. Have you ever seen that uh, video of Alex Jones getting punched at the RNC? I, yes, I have, <laughs> have indeed. So that's my, be- that's my best friend who did that. And oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> it was like, we're like standing there like chanting union songs, like, and he comes up with this megaphone, like, you communists, you're all going to hell, yeah, 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 this sort of thing. And he has his megaphone, he puts it right in my friend's face. My friend just punches him, like, you saw the video, just punches him. And he has a video after that, like, when he goes back into the limo after the police, like, save him. He's like, damn, those communists are amazing. And he's right, you know? You have to, like, free speech is dumb. Free speech is stupid. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I'm, I might have gone off on this tangent on another podcast, but, like, you know, freedom of the press, like, the press is a piece of capital, and it's a right for a capitalist, frankly. Like, you, freedom of speech doesn't matter if you aren't holding the megaphone. Yeah, I just real, I just realized there's terms of service for the Apple Podcast, but so this was all this was all parody. This is an irony podcast where the red scare of the yeah podcast. yeah. I don't I, I, I don't mean anything I'm saying right here. I think Alex we're, Jones we're is the best person, but he has a right to say what he believes because I believe in the Second Amendment. Yeah, I'm a big believer in um, you know like. I, I think deplatforming is bad. It shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. You know, I I really think that YouTube having Alex Jones on their platform for a decade was of no significance. So you know, just keep yeah. platforming people. I mean, have you ever thought about like when an anti-fascist breaks a window, they're just as bad as the window? Yeah, I mean, you know, property destruction is terrorism. It's like the worst kind of terrorism. You know what I mean? Like you can like, if like you a window, die, like a, a window can't heal. We can heal. exactly. You can't heal those wounds. Think about, like, the money people have to spend. Like, J.P. Morgan is not, does not have a lot of money. And, like, replacing a window for them is, like, 14 overdraft fees. They're just going to have to tighten those, those credit card regular their, their credit card policies. And, 
you know, we just we're just thinking about the consumer on this podcast as poets. Yeah, I mean, like we all love the free market. Yeah, this is this podcast is um you know this is the Ralph Nader adjacent poetry podcast for consumer advocacy. You, you mean the guy who like handed George W. Bush the presidency and ruined the world as we know it? Yeah, yeah, we're very. I'm sorry to all the liberals out there, but this is a Ralph Nader approved podcast. We don't think Ralph did anything wrong, and you know, <laughs> this is a Jill Stein alternative medicine podcast. Yeah, you know, we we support Alex Jones's free speech because we don't want them to stop us from selling supplements. Yeah, I'm like, how are you going to get fucking ripped and jacked? Yeah, I, I just want to be very red like he is in that one picture. <laughs> it's like so good. It's like, dude, you haven't changed at all between these two fucks. Yeah, I just remembering all those Vic Ver- Vic Burger videos of him. Oh my god. Oh man, he's such a funny dude. Like, he's a dangerous dude, and that's like the thing is like. A lot of people just, like, know Alex Jones like, the funny guy who says dumb fucking shit. But, like, the dude is, like, dangerous, you know what I mean? He's radicalized a shit ton of fucking people. Yeah, no, he's definitely one of the major radicalization points, especially on YouTube before he got deplatformed. And that's, like, the biggest violation of free, free speech right there. Yeah, I just, I mean, poets in this world, the best we can do is to print poems out from the Poetry Foundation's website and just litter them in front of various ICE detention facilities, and that's that's what we have to aspire to. That is called hashtag resistance. Yeah, this is, I mean, like I said, you know, we're, this is a Ralph Nader podcast, but we are, we are members of the hashtag resistance. No, but seriously, like, what you just said, like, if you are a poet and you call yourself, like, you're writing for the resistance, whatever that means, like, what are you doing? Like, if it's cool to, like, write a poem, if you write a cool banger ass poem and people love it right what does that really do yeah i feel like a lot of it like i've said before is just for npr audiences Ooh, npr i like that yeah i don't think i think that's jordan davis has had that take i don't think that's an original <laughs> that's fine i mean like it's true though like i've been thinking about this for a very long like at least for like four days which is a very long time for me where it's just like what is the poet's role and, like, what the world has become this day? And I don't think that's sort of that has to be, like, everyone writing, like, super, like, political shit. Clearly, that's the answer either. But, like, what are the material things you can do as a poet, the platform that you have, especially if you're a bigger poet? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I like, um, I think a lot of people will really, like, relate to the Brecht quote now of how can you write about the trees when the woods are full of policemen? And it kind of feels like one of those moments where we... You know, we have to, you have to at least be writing with an eye towards politics. I mean, I get the idea from, like, perspective. If you're, like, a marginalized person, you don't always want to write about, like, politics and tragedy. Maybe you want to write about, like, bees or birds and whatever. That's all cool. But also, it's, I don't want to say you have a responsibility, because maybe you don't. But, like, why, why else do this? Yeah, and I totally agree, though, that, you know, you can't write about this stuff all the time. Like, this is a lot of like some very draining stuff and it's fun poems are fun and people should continue to write them i hope they do but you know I, there is something going on now that needs to be addressed and it's like the liberal poets just don't understand that i don't know if it's like because you're being funded by these big organizations you don't have to think about that it's like my bread is buttered so fuck you sort of thing but i'm not sure i don't think it is that i don't think people are like most of being like i have this money so i don't give a shit I think it's more like a fear of like, what if I lose this 
fellowship or grant or if I lose this big platform I have sort of thing. Yeah, I really do think fear plays a big role because there just isn't a ton of money and you, you know, they, it really pits people against each other. Are we really like a literary community or are we just people competing against each other? Yeah, really a lot of the time feels like we're just competing each other against each other for slots in various writers' retreats. Right, we can pay $4,000 for no reason. We competed for slots in writers' retreats during the war. No comment. I'm just going to say, he follows me on Twitter for some reason. I'm not sure why. But it's like, I had to like mute him. I can't deal with it, man. Yeah, I actually, um, Monday's podcast, um, someone who was Matilda, and apparently Ilya Kaminsky had recently followed her, and then, um, well, she started interacting with us, and now Ilya does not follow her, does not follow her anymore. <laughs> That's so fucking funny, actually. <laughs> oh, man. It's just like, I was like looking on Twitter one day, it's like, Ilya Kaminsky followed, like, why? And it's like the most fucking... It's like a Hallmark card, but worse, just constantly every fucking day. Yeah, I've said it before in Instagram poetry, but a lot of it just feels like stuff that you could decorate like a wine mom's house with. It's like live, la- was it like, was it like laugh, live, love, live, laugh, love? Some shit yeah, like exactly, that. that kind of shit. Man, I don't get it. But like, hey, I don't have books out, and I'm not famous, whatever, how famous you could be in poetry land. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe I'll understand once I have a book with a press that's funded by Wells Fargo. Are you shitting on, like, great banks? Yeah, I mean, I just think that Wells Fargo needs to maybe be more responsible with their... You know, I just think their salespeople shouldn't push to a credit card deal so much. You know, they, they shouldn't be pressuring people to open new accounts. I think the overdraft fees are fine, but it's just the salesmen that have gone too far. Well, have you ever thought about, the like, the term personal responsibility? You know, I... I used to think about it, but now I've moved, I've moved more towards a model of, you know, everyone else is responsible for themselves, and I just am going to do what I want. Yeah, because fuck you, I got mine. Yeah, it's just that sort of mentality where, you know, I don't know, I just am living my life like a drill tweet. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I don't know, it's just like too much ingrained empathy. I think a lot of that has to do is like, I'm a gay man. I'm a gay black man. You get discriminated against all your life. I can't just be like, I got my little $100 check, so fuck y'all. Yeah, Drill, Drill has strong white man energy. He does have strong white man energy. Like that fucking 4th of July tweet is just like the whitest white man thing I think I've ever read. <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's two types of white man energy. You know what I mean? There's like Drill white man energy with this good white man energy. And there's just like, Pop and polos, white man energy. Maybe like pop yeah. and collar for the term, yeah. It's just exhausting to think of it. You mean you, you hate to see it is what I'm getting to. I love how that term is just like the last two years. I love, I hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah, it is fun to see memes like permeate and take, take them to the broader culture. It's the power of the internet, man. Yeah, it's fun. I, <laughs> um, it's one of the, I think James talks about this a lot, but like making poetry more like memes. I don't know, it's, it's fun to do. Yeah, it is. Like, what the fuck is his name on Twitter? I know him as Ohio City Beef. Is it Grieveland? Grieve? Yeah, Grieve, Grieve underscore land. Yeah, yeah. He's like, like I said land. before. Yeah, he's the one who uh, recommended I talk to you. Yeah, like, we both live in the same city, and I'm pretty sure we live, like, probably a block away from each other. But we've never met each other in real life. It's like a total, like, Twitter friendship. It's pretty dope. 
Oh, maybe you heard maybe you heard him podcast with me because he was, I believe, recording his episode outside. <laughs> that might be it. No, he just like messaged me one day and we just started like talking about fucking communist shit. He's a really cool dude. Yeah, yeah, his episode was really cool. I can't. I I just have to edit it. And well, I've recorded several episodes, and now I need. Now I'm in this. Now I have this problem where I have to edit like you know ten hours of audio. Because <laughs> I like I know like you're supposed to ask me questions. Can I ask you a question? Is that cool? Yeah, go for it. Why Why the Marxist Poetry Podcast? Yeah, it's just um, I'm a big fan of politics and poetry, but some of it just came down to I couldn't think of a name, and I had the Twitter handle for an unrelated <laughs> project. Okay. So part of it is that. Part of it is just like frustration. I'm like, God damn it, I can't think of a name. Fuck it, we're going with the one I have. <laughs> right. I mean, more like why a podcast. Oh, well, for me, like, personally, I've, I've listened to podcasts for, like, over a decade now. Um, I was a long-distance runner in high school, and I started listening to them in, like, 2007 while I was, like, doing exercises and shit. And, you know, I've just listened to podcasts for a very long time, and there aren't very many good poetry podcasts. And it's a format, like, I'm familiar with. I knew how to do it, like, on the back-end level. Like, I knew it wouldn't be beyond my limited technological capabilities, so I was just, like... Yeah, I can host a podcast. Sure, it's not. I mean, it, the podcasting isn't much more complicated than the two fonts that is a lit mag. And you know, because I had started talking to some poets on Twitter, I knew I knew I had like a couple dozen people who I could ask on this podcast, and I had some episodes ready. And I guess I just knew some people who had some cool stuff to say too, and I wanted to talk to them about it and get through, get that into the world. Yeah, that's like that's how the best shit starts, man. It's just like you and people you know or your friends just want to talk about something. And just like it tends to be more organic that way and I always find the energy is much higher in organic things. Yeah, and I mean part of it too is just like with regards to like organic things, there's just no there's just no leftist structures really. So it, I mean this is what we have to rely on, I think. Right. Can I ask you where do you if you had to put yourself in like what kind of leftist are you? Um well, you know, I I um, went to undergrad and like I studied a lot of um, like intellectual history. So I kind of have like, I can have more of an academic bent at times because I studied so much history. Like I'm a fan of a lot of, I don't know, thinkers who aren't so, you know, pot, like, you know, they write the dense theory stuff. So I, I don't know. Sometimes I have a more academic bent to things, but yeah, I just am a fan of revolution. So Whoever's going to do that, I guess I'm going to check uh, the box for on the ballot. So you're voting for Joe Biden is what I'm hearing? Yeah, well, I mean, I really wanted to vote for, um, fuck, who was the guy who last presidential run was like, wanted to do, a, who was this from like North Carolina or something, was like, yeah, we need to do a preemptive nuclear strikes. Oh, fuck, what is his name? Uh, Jim uh, Webb? Yeah, Jim Webb, that's it. I don't yeah, think he's from North Carolina, He's not what? I don't think he's from North Carolina, though, but I think it's, yeah, Jim Webb. Yeah, he's from, like, one of those, like, he's one of those Democrats who's from a Republican area, and people are like, we gotta take this guy seriously, because he knows how to win win over, I don't know. Who he's, from, he's from Virginia. Oh, that's it. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just for common sense solutions to foreign policy problems. Like, I, I want to try and get more international people on, international folks on this podcast, um, because I do want to talk about some of uh, some of those global issues, like I've had Tren on, and Tren let us know about the Australian scene and all its many 
various I, races. I have, a friend, I have a friend named Amy who's from Ireland who's a leftist and writes poetry. I can, like, send you her. Oh, yeah. No, I'd love to talk to an Irish leftist. Does she have, does she have a very strong accent? Yeah, it's very, like... Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, like, talked to her on, like, Skype a couple times. I'm like, dude, you gotta, like, slow down. I don't think I talked about shit, but, like, I am pretty drunk right now, so it's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. That that makes you part of the Sarah Best Club of getting high on the podcast. Oh yeah, like I work, I work today from like nine a.m. to five. And like, if you work at my job over twenty weeks, you get like a, a free growler. So, so like, I got tricky four ounces of beer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Is um, I I just want to make sure though. Is there anything else that like we you wanted to talk about that we missed? Not really. Um, you all should like submit to Barnhouse. We're free to submit, and we pay money. Please take our money. Um, yeah, Barnhub, get the check. Get the money. Yeah, get the money. It's like $20. It's not a lot of money, but like, at least we're not charging you 5 bucks and not giving you any money. Um, we publish in print and online. Print issues are 10 bucks. but if you really want one, let me know. I'll just give you one for free. I don't really care. Um, we have a reading coming up in November. We'll have a waffle bar. So if you like waffles and free beer and like hearing poetry, you should come out for that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Honestly, I wish I could come. I love waffles. I like the place I work has like a waffle pop up every Sunday, and the guy calls himself Waffle Daddy. But he makes like these Belgian, like Lee's, Lee H style waffles. They're really fucking good. And he was like, "Hey, I'll come to your reading to like give people some fucking waffles." I'm like, "Hell yeah, dude!" Oh man, I'm getting hungry now because the the grocery store that I'm in the parking lot of has a crepe shop inside of it. Now I really want a crepe. You should go get a fucking crepe. Yeah, I've never had this one before. I've never had from their place before. It's it's new. It's exciting. It's like a new, it's like a new experience. Yeah. <laughs> no, now, now I really want one. <laughs> now you have to fucking have a crate, dude. Yeah, I'll tweet about it. Yeah, I'm going to tweet that one before you steal it from me. Not this one, the one I said earlier. Oh, yeah, you should definitely tweet that. That was a good one. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I think of myself as not a funny person, and so I'm, like, really drunk and just laughing at my own jokes. Honestly, that's a good energy for Twitter, so... I think you are a funny person. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's like that self-deprecating sort of, I am poor millennial. Laugh at me, please. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, I I really like that kind of humor. I'm a big fan of the TV show Girls. Lena Dunham can go fuck herself. Yeah, I've had... It, we have, we've had enough of her since, like, 2012. Yeah, I mean, like, hasn't she been, like, hashtag canceled eight times now? Yeah, she doesn't even have her, like, magazine anymore because she got canceled so many times. What's it, um, I like watching John Oliver's show a lot. It's really good, like, unbiased politics. This is, this is actually true, but John Oliver used to have a podcast when he was on The Daily Show from, like, in, like, 2010. And I may have listened to it back in the day. I mean, that's fine. I will, like, it was, like, 20, 2007, 2008. You know, I had, like, a Hillary Clinton bumper sticker on my car. What were those bumper stickers like back then? I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, like, it's always, like, these bright pastel colors of, like, I have experience. I have the best resume of anyone in the I, country. I deserve to run this country. Then you lose, like, an orange Oopa Loopa and you don't have it. Yeah, I love how people are still out there, like, you know, she, well, she did win the popular vote. It's like, well, she could have also visited Wisconsin. I mean, like, how do you lose, like, the worst nominee of all fucking... At least in, like, mod history. He, he wasn't even campaigning. He was just, like, calling into CNN every day and from his bathroom, I assume. And it's like, he won, yo. That's, like, that's the American dream. 
you spend 30 years just fucking over poor minorities with rental companies going bankrupt a few times and just like saying some racist shit, you one day could be president. Yeah, that's why I'm such a believer in the American dream. Yeah, it's just like, if you don't like it, you could just leave. Now I'm triggered again thinking of the uh, Ilya Kaminsky tweets. So like, I have the book, my buddy gave me Death Republic. Oh my god. Uh, have you read the book? I was in a Barnes and Noble and I read it in like, well, I skimmed it for like 30 minutes once. It's just like, people, this is the best poetry book of all time. I'm like, really? Is it though? Yeah, I mean, it's really sad to think about how low the bar is for poetry in some ways. It's just like, there's so many poets, like, even on Twitter, there's like thousands of fucking dope poets who are just like doing really good experimental stuff and pushing the bar, but they still get clout. While this dude can sit here and just write fucking poems that are just, like, mediocre. And it took him 10 years to write, and now he's, like, had the greatest book of all time. Yeah, it's really frustrating, especially when you start to realize just how many, like, people out there are doing good shit. Yeah. It's, like, it's, I was like, am I pretentious for thinking this way? But, like, no. Like, all the mediocrity at the top. Yeah, it's... I'm still mad about the Deport Racist t-shirt. I, I never... What is this? I never heard about this. Uh, I was just having the other day, like when he, you know, you saw the thing where Ilya was handing out poems in front of like an ICE detention facility or something, right? Yeah, I saw that stupid shit. Yeah, deeper in that thread, um, there was a shirt like uh, Kave Akbar was wearing a shirt that said "Deport Racists," which just, just like seemed, just seems like the biggest own goal I've ever seen. It's just like, dude, if this is like the peak of racism, this is a sad state. Yeah, well, I mean, what really is frustrating about it is just to think of how many people, for how many people, like, these are, this is the pinnacle of political poetry. Yeah, it's like, this is, this is it. It doesn't get much better than this. And my biggest fear is, like, once he's out, it's just going to go back to the fucking normal, and there's, like, no one's going to care anymore. People will keep being deported, and it's just like, well, Joe Biden's doing it, so it's okay. Yeah, I'm really worried we're going to get, like, Rangas for Kamala Harris or something. I, don't, I, I can't see her winning, dude. I just can't see it. Like, I have my qualms with Tulsi Gabbard, but, like, the taxi and the Kamala just, like, run that shit for the election. There's no way. Yeah, the more I think about it, the less of a good candidate Kamala Harris seems. I don't know. She was just the one who I, I would hate to see Rangas for the most, I think. <laughs> it's going to happen. My, it's going to be, like, I'm telling you, it's going to be, like, Kamala, Warren, and, like, Sanders are the last three left in. And the attack on Senate is going to be, well, like, why does he drop out and let, like, equally progressive women run sort of thing? Yeah, what's really frustrating right now is seeing how many Sanders supporters are like, yeah, Elizabeth Warren is just as good as Bernie. I'm like, oh, God, you guys, you guys, <laughs> I'm just like, you guys are playing like, how many chess moves are you guys thinking ahead? Because it doesn't seem like you're thinking any chess moves ahead currently. I'm like, she is like a diehard Catholic. And like anyone, like Elizabeth Warren is better than like most of the other options. Like that's, that she is. But like, she's not great. Yeah, but, like, she also has... Yeah, I, I totally agree. But, but on the other hand, she also has a plan for, like, greening the military, so... Yeah, which is, like, really important. Yeah, I mean, as, you know, one of the acceptable things to talk about in poetry from a political angle, I like, I like to keep politics and poetry separate, but I do think climate change is important, so I really think someone should write a poem about greening the military. Yeah, it's like... Like, I also... Like, climate change is important. Like, we're all gonna die, I get it, but, like... No one out here needs to be convinced, other than, like, right-wing women need to be convinced that, like, climate change is a real threat. So, like, who are you writing to? Yeah, that's, a, that's like, a really good point. Something I talk, like, I really think 
um, it's important to try to like also like reach new people who maybe aren't engaged, but also to, you know, try and, and like keep the people who are involved like going you know write things for them as well too a lot of the times when you try and write things like that people are like oh you're preaching to the choir but it's like yeah well the choir needs songs to sing yeah i mean like the choir gets demoralized quite frequently yeah i don't know it's just the it's very cynical attacks and yeah oh i have one more thing to say before i go oh yeah um, yeah so yeah don't be sarah yeah no sarah bass is a national hero she really is <laughs> that's what i wanted to say like seriously she's awesome yeah, she's doing she's doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, talking to her was just so cool. Yeah, I was like kind of jealous, you know. Yeah, start start a Barnhouse podcast. Me and Jason were like, we're gonna start a podcast called Two Niggas with a Podcast, and I think that's gonna be like, I think that title is just on point. Yeah, and podcasting, like I said, really isn't that hard. All you need is Discord and um, an iPhone or any kind of smartphone, and you can record a podcast. How long does it take for you, like editing wise? Um, it depends, like. When I did a podcast with James, I had to edit out all the times he issued death threats. So that, took, <laughs> that took a significant amount. Of time. That's really funny, buddy. Yeah, so that took a long time to edit, but um, sometimes they just take like thirty minutes. Yeah, I if you're gonna do a podcast with a lot of riffs, it might it might take like how like however long the recording is, it might take about that long. That's still not like bad, and I feel like the riffs part is like half of the fun of podcast. You know what I mean? Why else do people listen? Why else do people listen to like fucking Compound and Chapa? Yeah, and I like part of the reason I wanted to do this was just like, yeah, doing that kind of podcast isn't that hard. So it's like fucking doing it. You guys are doing awesome work. But yeah, I sorry, look- your Barnhouse is really cool. <laughs> yeah, everyone listening to, should submit. I think you should. Please do. Um, it's brnhsjournal.co because dot com was super fucking expensive. Yeah, submit us work. We try to get back to people within two months, but usually it's like two or three weeks so we try to be pretty quick and we pay you money you know yeah well thank you thank you so much for talking